Hi, I'm Paul Jay, and welcome to the analysis.news. Please don't forget there's a donate button at the top of the webpage, and if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you could hit subscribe. For the second Sunday in a row, hundreds of thousands of Haitians took to the streets of Port-au-Prince on Sunday, March 7th, to demand the departure of President Jovenel Moise, whose term of office has expired. After decades of the U.S.-supported Duvalier dictatorship, a U.S. and Canadian-supported coup against the elected President Aristide, natural disasters, cholera introduced by U.N. supposed peacekeepers, and now what amounts to a new dictatorship of President Moise, the Haitian people have suffered mightily and fought valiantly. While U.S. policy in support of the Haitian elites and foreign mining and manufacturing companies has received some attention, Canada has played an important role in defending these same interests. Now joining us to discuss the current situation in Haiti and Canada's role is Jafrik Aiti. He's an author, a radio show host, a public speaker, activist, artist, Canadian civil servant. He's also the co-founder of two self-help organizations, uh, Akasan and Jacou Convit, which follow the principles of popularized by Marcus Garvey. He works with the Canada Haitian Action Network and Solidaire Quebec Haiti. Also joining us is Yves Engler, a Montreal-based activist and author and a regular contributor to The Analysis. He has published 11 books, including his latest, House of Mirrors, Justin Trudeau's Foreign Policy. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks for having me. So, Jeffrey, could you get us going? First of all, talk about what's happening now, uh, about the protests and why people are demanding Moise's resignation, and, and give us some context for all this. Yes. Well, thank you very much for covering this. Um, you know, these uh, demonstrations that have uh, taken place uh, in the last two Sundays really follow a string of demonstrations that have been happening since actually 2004. Now, of course, they intensified uh, during the last couple of years focused on corruption. The particular corruption uh, that uh, the people in Haiti are denouncing is about embezzlement of the Petro-Caribe funds, which is $4.2 billion uh, that were uh, injected in the Haitian economy uh, through uh, an arrangement with uh, President Hugo Chavez, former President Hugo Chavez of Venezuela, where Haiti bought oil from Venezuela, and uh, it... Uh, was to be returned to Venezuela uh, in goods or in cash, but uh, a part of it uh, over 25 years. So the money uh, uh, set aside would be used for uh, investment in infrastructure, things that Haiti badly needed. Unfortunately, this did not happen, and there's evidence that the funds were embezzled by uh, the regime that is currently in power uh, with former President Michel Martelly having spent the most time uh, using those funds. But that also has another link to corruption because it's also during the Martelly uh, governance that most of the billions of dollars, there are upwards to 
13 billion dollars that were collected after the earthquake supposedly for the rebuilding of Haiti uh, that money just vanished in that particular case um, it is not only the Haitian players who were involved in the corruption because as you might remember Bill Clinton was assigned a specific role as special envoy of uh, the United Nations and he co-led the commission that was in charge of the management of those funds and it so happens that a portion of these funds uh, were also used during the presidency of uh, Michel Martelly. And so people are uh, fighting against a regime that has used a lot of violence uh, against uh, um, demonstrators, but it's also uh, in a backdrop of foreign occupation. Because what happens is that Haiti had 7,000 elected officials in 2004, and all of these were removed, toppled, uh, and replaced first by unelected uh, officials that were handpicked by the foreign occupiers, which include the United States, Canada, and France. But um, later on, they organized a set of sham elections that Haitians uh, decried. Um, to impose leaders that are that never really managed to gain the respect of the population. Now, the, and, this is after the coup against Aristide? Yes. So since 2004 to the present time, uh, you basically never had a, a situation where elected officials, whether it is local officials like uh, uh, mayors or, or all the way to the president, would have been elected and be seen by the population as uh, their uh, duly elected representatives. Uh, in in, in mo most instances, they could identify uh, what powers uh, place these people in, 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 you know, with titles of senators, deputies, etc. And uh, some instances, uh, uh, scandals broke about who paid uh, to buy uh, the seats in the Senate. And so you have one such senator, uh, Rony Celestin, whose scandal you know, broke in the Canadian press because he bought a house in Laval, Quebec, uh, $4.2 million cash. And, you know, and people in, uh, in the Haitian community in Montreal understand that you know, we cannot do that. So you know, where does this guy find uh, that money? To, and, and senators are not paid that much money in Haiti to be able to afford that. Uh, so the Jeffrey, just let me ask you about this point. Um, you say many elected officials and others were removed after the coup against Aristide. So this just what, wasn't a coup just against Aristide. It was against an entire administration. Important point that is often missed. It was 7,000 elected officials and they were removed from local officials all the way to uh, the legislature was, uh, was canceled. And so the guy that... But, but, uh, excuse me, excuse me. By, by what authority? The United States did it. For instance, uh, the Prime Minister of Haiti, according to the Haitian Constitution, is someone who must have lived for five consecutive years in the country in order to qualify for the President to name the Prime Minister. And then the Prime Minister is supposed to go in front of the legislature, so the Senate and the Deputy Chambers together, to ratify the choice of a Prime Minister. This did not happen in 2004. There's this guy named Gérard Latortue who was living in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, after the coup, he entered Haiti and they named him prime minister. 
and he's the one who uh, basically ran the country during that uh, first transition period uh, with complete disregard for whatever the Haitian constitution says. But that's not new. I mean, every time there is a foreign occupation, this has always happened. Uh, anything that's inconvenient for the foreign occupiers, they just disregard. Uh, and when it becomes too much, they draft a new constitution, which is what they're trying to do now. Uh, just remind us, because a, a lot of my, our audience are younger and may not, <laughs> they're older and don't remember. Uh, what what were some of the most important parts of Aristide's policies that the United States and we'll get to Canada objected to? Well, just a couple of hints. Okay, so President Aristide, when he was first elected in 1990, uh, only lasted seven months, and there was a coup against him conducted by the CIA operatives in the country. He spent three years in exile. As soon as he returned. Um, he basically uh, tried to do uh, the most that he could during the few months that he had because the Haitian constitution does not allow a president to have two consecutive terms. So he, when he returned, having lost the three years, he could only organize election for someone to replace him because he could not run in those elections. So what he did on the last month of, of his time in 1995, he went to Cuba uh, to renew uh, diplomatic relations with uh, Cuba, which Haiti did not have. During the whole period of the Duvalier dictatorship, we did not have relationships with Cuba. And that allowed um, a very dynamic South-South collaboration where many Cuban doctors came to Haiti afterwards, Haitian students went to Cuba. Uh, and so there was a lot of investment in healthcare. During Aristide's government, uh, just before he was overthrown in 2004, 16% of the meager national budget was dedicated to healthcare. And we're talking about $400 million here as a national budget. Okay? Compared to today, these guys in Haiti have upwards of uh, $2.5 billion annually. Whereas in Aristide's time, he had uh, $400 million, And that money on top of it, um, he was being pressured by the IDB to pay arrears on loans that were um, uh, stolen uh, by the Duvalier dictatorship. So he had to pay those arrears before he gets access to new loans. So it was a completely bankrupt uh, 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 government uh, because it was being harassed by the international financial system. But they invested in um, some uh, city infrastructures, uh, uh, built a lot of parks, uh, schools. Uh, the highest number of high schools uh, built in Haitian history during one uh, short period of time. Uh, and President Ayusid also um, doubled the, the minimum wage, which was very unpopular because there's a set of um, 11 ultranational families in Haiti who uh, basically their business is sweatshops and import-export. And When so you say very it, unpopular, you mean very unpopular with the 11 families. Exactly. Because to them, uh, you know, paying uh, normal wages to the workers is like, I mean, that's a crime. So, yeah. And so uh, he was deposed because of that. But one last point, though, and that speaks to the international dimension of this, is that 
when President Aristide realized that he wasn't really finding any uh, sources of, uh, of, of revenues because the country was being boycotted by the international players, uh, he issued a, a, a very popular demand for the Haitian people, but very unpopular on the international arena, uh, uh, of reparations and restitution. So in the Haitian case, uh, it's a it's a two pronged element. You have restitution because France collected a ransom from the Africans who had liberated themselves. So Haiti paid a ransom to the French state from 1825 to 1947. You're talking about the, the successful uprising of of Haitian slaves. Yes. So instead of the European powers paying reparations to the liberated Africans for stolen labor, it was the opposite. So Haiti's breast milk, literally, was stolen from it because during the Industrial Revolution, when everybody was building their infrastructure, Haitians were producing coffee, cocoa, all kinds of stuff just to generate funds to send to France. Okay, so this is the... So just to give you a, a, just, an excuse idea. Me, just to be clear, make sure everyone's getting this. This is reparations for the slaves doing this horrible thing of liberating themselves. Clearly, that's a crime that should be compensated. Yeah. And, and Haiti was uh, asked to pay 150 million francs to, uh, to the French for the loss of property. If you look at the territory of Haiti, at the time, they were talking about the whole island because the whole island is Haiti. Okay, today it's occupied by the Dominican Republic and, and Haiti on, on one side. But that territory, the whole island, is, I think when I did the calculation, it's at least 22 times smaller than uh, Louisiana. I think it's actually much more than that, actually. Okay, Louisiana was sold for 15 million, okay, from uh, Napoleon's friends to the Americans, and, and that doubled the size of the United States today. So it's like more than 10 times the amount for a territory that's several orders of magnitude smaller. So obviously what they were doing was essentially saying that, okay, these Africans have liberated themselves, but we will make sure that they simmer in poverty for as long as possible. And that was not done only by the French. This was a coalition effort. Because the French got help from the Americans. In fact, much of that money was collected during the U.S. occupation by Americans who collected the money. The money transited to U.S. banks and then went to French banks. So, and, you know, we can talk about all other European powers who participated in, in the Armada yeah, that went to Haiti uh, because it was gunboat diplomacy. They were at the uh, Haiti harbor saying, you have to give the payments or we will blow up the National Palace. And this happened throughout the 19th century. President Aristide demanded that, you know, we're in a civilized world now. France needs to recoup its uh, dignity. And that involves them returning the money. And, you know, in 2003, when this demand was made, France had consecutive surpluses in their budget. So they had the money. They could have paid it, but of course, uh, it would be a, a precedent 
Um, and as you know, most of the countries that claim to be democracies today built their riches on the backs of, um, of Africans who were enslaved. And so this would have created uh, a situation that, you know, the British and, uh, and others would be very nervous about. And so what they did, they organized a meeting here in Canada and they said, well, let's kidnap this guy, get him out um, and put Haiti under UN tutelage. Less than a year later, they did it. Yves, uh, you have Aristide standing up to the Haitian elites and policies that are progressive in terms of the workers in Haiti. Um, and then you have these various governments that come afterwards that are uh, helping uh, defending the interests of these elites and foreign mining companies and all this. And now you have Moise. Uh, I, I'm assuming Canada, because uh, we all know Canada only cares about democracy everywhere. I'm assuming Canada was against all this U.S. policy, right? Well, unfortunately, no. As, uh, as Jean pointed out, uh, 13 months before they overthrew uh, the Aristide government and thousands of elected officials, the Canadian government organized a meeting uh, just outside of Ottawa to discuss ousting Aristide, to discuss putting the country under UN trusteeship and recreating the Haitian military. That was all reported on in L'Actualité, uh, which is a Quebec uh, corporate media outlet, probably a trial, uh, trial balloon by the minister that was responsible for the meeting. And then that all happens 13 months later. You have Canadian troops on the ground that secure the airport that Aristide says he was kidnapped from and then dumped in the Central African Republic. All that was reported on uh, a year before the coup. And then after the coup transpired, the dominant media in this country went completely silent on the Ottawa initiative on, on Haiti and have basically not investigated the, the, this Canada being involved in you know, planning or plotting a coup. Um, <clears throat> and so that, of course, is just an you know, extreme example of the bias in the dominant media. But I think another part of this story that, that should be told, and Jean kind of uh, alluded to it, like when Aristide uh, increased the minimum wage, uh, the biggest uh, one of the biggest sweatshop operators in the country was a Montreal company called Guild and Activewear. Their main subcontractor in Haiti was a man by the name of André Aped, uh, who was the head of the Group of 184, the opposition to Aristide. André Aped uh, is a light-skinned Haitian, looks a lot more like me than he does to, to Jean. He's part of that small elite of white, mostly white or Arab background families that run the economy. But that's the people that Canada is working with, right? That's where the, the you know, the Canadian corporate class and Canadian politicians are, are, are interlinked with these, you know, 11, <clears throat> 11 families that run the, uh, that uh, run the economy. Um, and that's basically been Canadian policy since at least 2003, which is to, to uh, subvert the will of the majority, to undermine Haitian uh, sovereignty. And you see that right up until today, where you have this uh, dictator since February 7th, an unequivocal dictator since, you know, he extended his mandate contrary to uh, all constitutional authorities. Um, uh, this, the only reason that Jovenel Moise is still in power is because he has the backing of Washington and Ottawa, right? He falls, you know, tomorrow if it isn't for the fact that he has the backing. In fact, his the, the regime in place only gets in place because of the intervention of, of U.S. and Canadian officials after the earthquake in uh, 2010 and early 2011 with the with the elections. Um, but, you know, they have Canadian backing and 
terms of the police, Canada providing uh, financial and training support, diplomatic support to the police force, you know, as they kill protesters, you have, you know, constant public declarations by Canadian officials backing, uh, 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 you know, Moise, uh, while there are, you know, 100,000 people on the street calling for him to go. Um, so you really have uh, Canada acting as a imperial bully explicitly uh, in this, you know, long history of, uh, of U.S.-led, uh, uh, you know, terror against the uh, majority of the population. Yeah, I think it's an important point because I think Canadians and probably people outside of Canada, although not in Haiti, uh, they think Canada is sort of at, at worst a bystander that doesn't critique the U.S. as the Americans do these dirty deeds. Uh, but but in Haiti and, and other places too, like Venezuela, uh, Canadians play a very active role, even sometimes a leading role, in suppressing uh, people's movements. Well, in Haiti, for sure, and and you know there is a Venezuela connection to to all of this in terms of uh, one of the things when when they were pushing they pushed Jovenel Moise uh, to join the the Lima group, the anti-Venezuela Lima group. Uh, and that's one element of why the U.S. and Canada are, are you know, keeping him in place because he's you know, doing their their work uh, diplomatically in the hemisphere. Um, but yeah, in, in Haiti, it's it's you know it's clear that Canada has been the lead player in increasing the size and and the repressive nature of the Haitian police over the past fifteen years. Canada's been lead financier, uh, Canadian uh, RCMP, and and uh, and Sûreté de Québec have been the lead players and were the lead players in the UN uh, police training mission and, and they continue to be uh, lead players on that front. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, the Canadian government is, is, uh, is not a uh, you know, passive bystander. At this point, uh, Canada is, is the second imperial player in Haiti after the U.S., more so than France uh, in the last 15 years, maybe you know, earlier prior to 2004, that may not have been the case. But in the last 15 years, um, and it's and it's uh, and it gets almost no uh, no attention in the dominant media in this country, or for that matter, the the major political parties. Right? You, you have uh, you know in recent days, there's been some breakthrough in uh, a few MPs that have you know criticized Canadian policy in Haiti, but overwhelmingly, it's just silence from the dominant media and silence from uh, the main uh, opposition parties as well. And and this is in spite of the fact that Canada has a lot of economic interest in Haiti. It's not just this one uh, manufacturer. It's other textile manufacturers, but also mining companies as well. Is that right? There was the example of Eurasian Minerals, uh, which had uh, exploration contracts in northern Haiti, St. Genevieve, uh, a number of uh, Canadian mining companies. Now, this also has a connection to the 11 families because it so happens that it's the same folks who are also the uh, connectors uh, between the Canadian companies and what's happening on the ground in Haiti. So, for instance, one of the former ambassadors uh, of Haiti to Canada, he was a former member of president of the Chamber of Commerce. And when he arrived, that's one of the questions I asked him. How are you going to defend the interest of Haiti? when you are in the mining sector and we know the bad reputation that the Canadian mining companies have in countries where um, you, know, you have dictatorships and, and uh, they basically uh, benefit from uh, that climate 
so that they don't do any of the environmental protection assessments, uh, forget about remediation and all of this stuff. They just come and they plunder uh, and leave and let the population with the disaster. In the case of Haiti, the population has been lucky so far that um, active uh, exploitation has not taken place. So they've done exploration. So, you know, they probably make money uh, in speculation in the market, but uh, the gold is still there. Uh, well, however, what they're trying to do is to change the Haitian law. Because currently the law requires before exploration takes place uh, or exploitation takes place uh, for a company to have their proposal in front of the parliament to be discussed so that, uh, 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 you know, all of the aspects of, uh, of uh, the mining exploitation can be uh, seen and, and make sure that all of the protections are there. Now, what they're trying to do is to get this guy, this uh, unelected uh, illegal guy who's extended his mandate to bypass all of that, create a new constitution that will completely remove this requirement. So all of the com all the companies would need to do now is make sure that they bribe uh, one minister and then they get access to the land and do whatever they want. So I think part of the story that's important also to tell is that Canadians have shown solidarity with Haiti. And that, that is an important story. And it's not only after the earthquake, because after the earthquake, we all saw it. The generosity was evident. People from coast to coast collected funds and, and sent money to the Red Cross and all kinds of organizations in order to help uh, people in Haiti. That has also taken a different form uh, in the Canada-Haiti Action Network that both uh, Eve and I were involved with and now with Solidarité Québec IET, where we find people from different parts of the country who are curious enough to give Haiti more than the usual 15 seconds. You know, you get the, uh, the usual clips that talk about black dictator, you know, black people cannot rule themselves. And of course they put nice language around it <laughs> and put it on TV. But beyond that, you don't get uh, coverage or analysis of what's happening in Haiti. But there are a few Canadians who have been curious enough uh, to go and dig deeper to understand what's really happening and to find that this is their story because that, you know, a bunch of white men and women met at Mitch Lake on January 31st, February 1st, 2003, and very seriously and calmly decide the future of the first black republic in the world. Because, you know, and I have spoken a lot to uh, people in uh, Canadian government and others who absolutely are clueless about the, significant, uh, the, the importance of the date 2004, which was the bicentennial. To us Haitians and black people around the world, this is nothing less than white supremacy. That a bunch of white people sit down in Ottawa and they decide that they have to remove the president of Haiti and put Haiti under tutelage. And Michel Vastel put it in his article. They wanted to do it before January 1st, 2004, which is the bicentennial. You know, and of course, in all of the um, media of the United States and Canada, there were all kinds of propaganda around 2004 
at the end of 2003, telling people, don't go to Haiti. Like there was an active boycott of the country. I went there with my family. My, uh, my son at the time was uh, four years old. And I can tell you the pride that this young boy had to be in a population of black people, okay, celebrating black nationhood, okay, you cannot replace that. And unfortunately, we live in a world where these white people who met at Leech Lake, they are so self-sufficient. If someone come and tell them that this is stupid, you can't do that. People are going to revolt against that. They're going to be offended by that. They didn't care. And as soon as the coup took place, it was evident. The Congressional Black Caucus in the U.S., all of them stood against it. The Caribbean nation, the entire African Union issued statements to say that they stand against this coup. And so you have... But didn't, Europe, didn't most, most of Latin America? Most of Latin America stood against it. So... Because people understood exactly if we allow them to do this in Haiti, well, it will happen in all of our countries. And in fact, this is what we've seen. You know, what do you have in Bolivia? You have finally the native people there managed to get one of theirs elected as president, Evo Morales. Okay. All of a sudden, uh, the lithium of Bolivia becomes something that is important in the international market. And then they decide that they're not going to pay the fair price for it. So they overthrew Evo Morales. So if we continue with this model, how can we seriously say that we've left behind the colonial era and we are in a new era? I mean, this looks exactly like what was happening during the colonial times to me. Right. Yves, uh, I remember, in fact, you guys reminded me when I was pro executive producer of this debate show Counterspin on CBC. Uh, we did several shows uh, about the, the coup as well as how Canada's role uh, played in organizing the, the support for the coup, uh, even organizing the coup. Um, and we would do that show on Counterspin, and the next night on the national news, <laughs> that'd be like nothing. <laughs> the, 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 the actual news coverage wouldn't deal with how active Canada was. In, in organizing the coup. Uh, and, and such hypocrisy, given Canada is supposed to be the great standard bearer of international law, United Nations, uh, and so on and so on. Uh, and of course, all of this was violated. I mean, it's, it's not the first one. It won't be the last act of hypocrisy on Canada's part. Um, but what do you make of what's going on now in terms of Canada and the media? Is there any real coverage of how Moise is violating the Haitian constitution? There's more certainly than in 2004. Uh, there's there's uh, starting to be a bit more criticism. Uh, there's a civil society, uh, Canadian, like the Canadian Labour Congress, most of the Quebec unions, the biggest NGO group here in Quebec, have all signed statements or put out statements in the in recent weeks critical of Canada's role in Haiti and calling on Canada to stop propping up uh, Moise. Um, you know the media is still uh, you know, downplaying the issue, but there's been a you know a few uh, a few breakthroughs. Uh, but yeah, in my in my book, a propaganda system, I look at go back at coverage of the uh, of Canada's role in Haiti, and it's. Two elements that are, you know, really uh, extreme uh, in terms of the history of Canadian foreign policy uh, uh, media suppression. One is the Ottawa Initiative in Haiti that we've talked about, and and 
I, I did a Canada uh, newsstand search on that, and I think there was like four after the coup between 2004 and 2016. I think there was four mentions in Canadian English language uh, daily newspapers about the Ottawa Initiative on Haiti, and I think all of them were mentioned by uh, activists when they had a they got a call. I had one or two in the Ottawa Citizen mentioned briefly by activists. Um, but probably even more startling uh, example of of uh, media suppression was after the earthquake. Canada. Did, Decide, in 2010, the terrible earthquake that left a couple hundred thousand people dead, Canada decided to send 2,000 troops alongside about 10,000, 15,000 U.S. troops. Uh, they didn't send heavy urban search and rescue teams, right, that were based in Ottawa, Montreal, uh, Toronto, Halifax. They decided not to send them. And we got, or actually the Canadian press, got the uh, internal government documents of the decision-making for why they sent soldiers instead of heavy urban search and rescue teams. And it was because they were concerned about a power vacuum. That's a that's a that's the internal government quote. And they were concerned that Aristide, who was then in exile in South Africa, might return to Haiti. So after this horror of this earthquake, that everyone who has any ounce of you know human solidarity within them are obviously totally troubled by people being you know stuck under rubble or getting healthcare or whatnot. The decision makers in in Ottawa were concerned about controlling Haiti. That's their, that was their political, maintaining political control. Now, a year after the earthquake, the Canadian press reported on this, these internal government documents. In the, my Canadian newsstand search, only one newspaper uh, had the Canadian press story into their paper. That was the Kamloops Daily News, uh, a, small, a small paper in the uh, in interior of BC. Now, almost every newspaper has access to the Canadian press wire, of course. A few, a few outlets put it on their website. Only one paper, totally marginal paper, put it in the actual paper. Um, and that's a pretty extreme example of, uh, of bias in, in the dominant media. And, and um, you know, things have broken down a bit today because the protests are so big in Haiti, because more of the uh, intellectual uh, sectors of Haitian society are critical of Moise, whereas Aristide, a lot of them sided with the U.S., France, uh, Canada coup. Um, so the situation's changed a little bit today, and also within the Haitian community in Montreal, I think there's, there's you know, more dissent on the matter. But but mostly the, the, the dominant media follows uh, the, the federal government's perspective, which is backing up the, backing up the dictatorship. Uh, before we finish, uh, I think we'll have to do another episode on this and, and, and probably several as, as this struggle continues. But talk a bit about the struggle, Jeffrey. What is the, uh, hundreds of thousands of people, you said it might even be a million, uh, two weeks in a row. Um, that's a big deal, uh, especially in a country that has a you know, repressive police force and so on. Um, what, what are the politics going on there in terms of opposition parties, movement organizations, unions? What's happening? Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's very telling, the number of people who are in the streets. If you just compare it, for instance, with the situation in 2003, when I went to Haiti and I saw these demonstrations, because there were uh, demonstrations against Aristide, which were organized by those 11 families and the U.S. Embassy, etc., but you would have uh, an anti-Aristide demonstration uh, on Saturday that would have, let's say, I don't know, uh, 50,000 people in the streets. The next day, you'd ha have 200,000 pro-Aristide demonstrators in the streets. And I, you know, filmed it. I saw it myself. And so 
that's why when Eve is uh, telling you that after the earthquake in 2010, all of these powers and in and, and, uh, special cables, you could see that they were all nervous, the United States, France, uh, Canada, watching the population because they knew that the population uh, did not accept the post-coup regimes, that, that they were unpopular. Today, you don't have any pro-government demonstrations in the streets of Port-au-Prince, okay? Because this guy, uh, Jovenel Moïse, was completely unknown when he was handpicked by Martelly to replace him. They kind of created a personality out of nothing. Uh, so the, the rich families, what they did, they funneled money through his bank accounts. Okay, he had, I think, 13 bank accounts when the investigation took place. And um, so all of a sudden, he becomes this very rich guy. And the title of entrepreneur is uh, uh, given to him. And he supposedly has a banana uh, farm that is producing banana that is so precious that while Haiti is importing banana from the Dominican Republic, these Haitian bananas are going to Germany. <laughs> They're so fancy that Haitians cannot eat them. So, in reality, this whole thing was fake. There was only one container of bananas that went to Germany, and, and the whole thing collapsed. There was never any real farm. So, they created this personality. Um, and, of course, some people bought into the idea because he's a dark-skinned Haitian. Because the Haitian they had before as the first puppet was a light-skinned Haitian, Michel Martelly. And his entourage was all from the Pichonville area, guys who are lighter than me. And people started to question, what is this government of Haiti that we have that doesn't look like us? And so they did what this uh, oligarchy has been doing for hundreds of years. Whenever they get caught in, uh, uh, in, their, uh, in, in their puppet regimes, they go and find someone who is as dark as possible uh, to put in front as, as president. But... The reality is, just like Eve mentioned, uh, you had André Aped playing that key role back in 2004. Well, guess what happened uh, one day after Jovenel Moïse's term legally expired? He extended his term, and the very next day, he issued a decree, which is illegal because he's not supposed to be issuing decrees like that. There's supposed to be a parliament. But what's in that decree? He gives... 8,600 hectares of land to who? This white American guy, André Aped. And he's supposed to be using that land. I mean, this is such a huge territory uh, in Haitian terms because it covers three different departments of the country. Uh, and he's supposed to be producing something called sepia, which is used uh, uh, in Coca-Cola. Now, imagine this, okay? And this is land that can produce food, okay? Now, this guy is taking it to do a monoculture, which relies, which is completely dependent on one company, okay? And, you know, uh, Jovenel Moïse gives this land to him uh, with the additional gift of $18 million uh, to, uh, to develop that. So, what people are realizing more and more is that the real person who is president of Haiti is André Aped. And Jovenel Moïse is just a puppet that they put in front. And uh, sooner or later, uh, he's going to be deposed. Now, in the last couple of uh, weeks, 
the reason why you have more gathering of people, and, and, and it's not just politicians who are running those demonstrations. In fact, most of them are not run by politicians. It's the civil society because there's a wave of kidnappings that have taken hold of the country because Haiti, like most of these countries, have urban violence. You know, you have the favelas in Colombia, etc. You have in, in Rio. Well, in, in, we used to have this kind of violence in Port-au-Prince. But what we've observed in the last 10 years is that this has become a phenomenon that affects the whole country. There are places in the countryside that never had uh, uh, banditry problems. And now you have these young men who are, they're walking around with clothes that don't look that fancy, but each of them are carrying AK-47 and Uzis and like weapons that cost $7,000 a piece. And how does that happen? Haiti is an island. We don't produce weapons. That's clear. Okay. So the ports have been privatized. And who owns the ports? Those same families. Okay. And so they've been uh, uh, investing in arming gangs of young men and women and they spend a lot of resources on creating a climate of fear in certain strategic areas, including the, um, how you say that, waterfront in Port-au-Prince, where there, there are slums right now. And it has always been a project of these 11 families to displace that population from these areas and some other areas within the country so that they can take it and do their own idea of development. And so there is a climate of fear that has been created with these gangs because like people were saying, well, it doesn't make sense. How come these guys are kidnappers and they're kidnapping street vendors and they're asking a million dollars? That doesn't make sense. I mean, what street vendor has million dollars? And they've are the, never... Are the, are, are the gangs going after the protesters at all? Yes, that is happening as well, but this is happening with a specific gang. There's a specific gang that they created uh, in the Delma area that's near the National Palace. And this is, uh, there's a former police officer named Jimmy Cherizier. Uh, his nickname is Barbecue. And that's because he kills people and burns them. Okay. Now, this guy, you will see if you follow, if you Google his name, you'll find that all kinds of governments, Canada, US, everybody's been asking for his arrest. But he's like, you know, the roadrunner in Bugs Bunny. You know, they can never find him. <laughs> the guy, they, they say that there's a police warrant after him. And he's doing Facebook lives almost every Sunday. But they cannot find him. But the reason is, and, and yesterday there was a, a, a live uh, message from a, a, a Haitian musician who was very close to Michel Martelly, who admitted that, this guy and, and these gangs in particular are armed by Michel Martelly, the former president who was imposed by Hillary Clinton on the Haitians. And so what they're doing is using those gangs to terrorize the population, the, the base of support for Lavalas or President Aristide's party, so that when and if elections are organized, people in the impoverished neighborhoods will not be able to go and vote. And so they can claim another easy victory like the last two elections where they will come and say, oh, well, that's too bad. There was low voter turnout, but 
that's Haiti. It cannot be perfect. We'll accept it. And they'll, you know, Jovenel Moïse was supposedly elected with an election that involved 500,000 votes in a nation of over 12 million people. Okay. So obviously, uh, this wasn't a real election. But if the population has realized that if they allow it to happen, no matter how it happens, they can scream bloody murder as much as they want. The core group or the so-called international community, the white powers, are going to say, sorry, it's good. You had an election. This is your president. Live with it. And so that's why people are in the streets and they're saying they're not going to have it. You've done this game a couple of times. You're not going to do it anymore. And people are using a new term now. They're saying that they're not calling for one puppet to be removed and replaced by another puppet. They're asking for the system to collapse. And so that if these 11 families want to stay in Haiti, they're going to have to become citizens and behave like citizens, pay their taxes uh, uh, and, and behave like normal people um, in, in the country. And so people are calling for a transition government that doesn't involve uh, the uh, Peashtika uh, 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 party of Jovenel Moïse and Michel Martelly, for these guys to face justice for the embezzled funds and for real elections to be organized in Haiti. Eve, uh, just finally, what should Canadians and Americans uh, demand of their governments? What, what should be Canadian and American policy towards Haiti? Well, I think in the long term, there could be some, you know, real, uh, real uh, transfer, you know, reparations and stuff like that. But in the, in the short term, I think we need to stop propping up the repressive uh, uh, dictator. And uh, there's a petition being presented in the House of Commons on Monday calling for a um, the release of all the documents around the Ottawa Initiative on Haiti and its connection, the Ottawa Initiative on Haiti's connection to the core group. Which Jean just mentioned, which is the, the, the kind of the foreign powers that really, you know, are the, the real power behind Moise. Uh, so that's, you know, looking backwards into what Canada has done in Haiti with the coup in 2004 and subsequent policy. Um, but, uh, but I think the, you know, first thing people should do is, you know, inform themselves with a very good film called Haiti Betrayed that looks at Canada's role in the 2004 coup and subsequent policy. That's a nice uh, introduction. Um, and uh, there's, uh, you know, get involved. There's uh, some Haiti solidarity groups that have been uh, recreated here in Montreal and in the Maritimes and a uh, little bit of activity in, uh, in Toronto. All right. Well, we'll do this again soon. Thank you both for joining me. Really appreciate it, Paul. And thank you for watching the analysis.news. Please, again, don't forget there's a donate button at the top of the web page. And if you're uh, watching on YouTube, you can go over to the analysis.news and donate, but also please make sure you hit subscribe. Uh, thanks again.